This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Claire Hatton. And I'm Greta Thomas. We're here to share fascinating stories and advice from innovative and pioneering women around the globe. If you're enjoying our podcast, then come on over to our website at don'tstopusnow.co and sign up for our community with some awesome things planned for this year. Now for this week's episode. Welcome to this week's episode all about how to make time your friend. And listeners, you can probably hear that Gret here is not <laughs> feeling on top of the world. Well, I definitely don't sound as uh, mellifluous as I would like to normally. <laughs> That's a big word. <laughs> yeah, I know. Pretty amazing. I actually got it out given my croaky voice. So excuse my croaky voice. And we're here talking to you from... A hotel room in London. Indeed we are. So um, you can blame the long flight uh, probably for the croaky voice. In and the freezing cold weather. Yes, <laughs> a bit of that too. All right, well, back to business. So today's topic is actually it's a really topical one for me because no matter what I try, I so often find myself slipping back into feeling really frustrated and having a fight with time and also feeling really frustrated that I don't achieve as much in a day as I want to. So they say you um, often end up teaching what you need to learn most, and I think that could be a case of that today for me. But how about you? Well, I think it's totally understandable that there's all this angst around time and you know what you can achieve on any given day. What's that old phrase? Um, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. You know, it's pretty critical how we spend our time, and really, there's nothing more important in life for me in terms of what we do with our time. Totally agree. I mean, it's literally priceless, isn't it? So what we're going to do today is look at this topic from two different perspectives. The first is big picture, longer term, how you think about your goals and your longer term priorities. And then secondly, some tips and hacks for the shorter term, you know, the more tactical daily stuff, you know, how to get the most out of your day. Yeah, no, that's so great. Because I think the other thing is that different tools are going to work better for different people. And I know that I, for instance, I love thinking about the big picture, you know, say what I want to achieve over a year and then chunking or cascading that back down to shorter timeframes quite a bit. And then I I don't think I've got the right system really for my day to day and stopping that frustration with not getting what I want to get done in a day. Yeah, no, absolutely. But don't jump the gun. Because the clearer we are about our long-term priorities for life and work, the more we can allocate our time based on these priorities. So now we're going to look at a number of different ways that you can think about your longer term or bigger picture goals to help you use your time more effectively. Great. One of those is used by our guest, Lindley Edwards. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lindley? absolutely. She was fantastic. She was. In fact, she was one of our most popular podcast episodes. So, so uh, far. Yeah, absolutely. She was on the podcast a few months back and she is really super clear about the types of opportunities she'll say yes to and what she'll say no to. And she calls her priority work areas thematics. And it really helps her manage her time at this macro level. So she only accepts work if it falls into one of her three thematics. They are financial services, data, or Asia-related. Oh, I remember that. And it really makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Especially in her situation, you know, where you know she runs her own business. So you work for yourself. So you really do have that potential enormous amount of variety that you could choose from. And so she keeps herself focused on what's really important by having those sort of thematics. Related to that approach, but sort of slightly different as well, is where you kind of create big picture rules for yourself about when you might say no to specific types of work or specific types of invitations. So this can work whether you work for yourself or whether you're in a corporate. So one example might be, for example, you might decide because you really value and it's an important priority to spend time with your family, that you'll only accept an evening invitation that's work-related say once a month. So you could create that rule at the beginning of the year and then it just saves all that cognitive energy and agonizing about, oh, how do I reject this invitation politely? Because you can actually go back and say, well, I'm sorry, I really limit the number of invites I have or the number of uh, engagements I do in evenings because of my family. It's just a rule I have. So I think the rule concept is a really good one too. I love that. And I think Natalie Nahai, the web psychologist and speaker, she was in one of our previous podcasts as well. And she uses this type of approach to help her decide which speaking gigs to take on. Let's listen to her now, shall we? Yeah, absolutely. So my problem is actually saying no stuff. And so one of my friends at the time said, okay, we need to create a physical flowchart for you. We're going to sit down, you're going to map it out. And he made me do it. It was great. And so it could be, for instance, if it's a talk, number one, do I want to do the talk? Yes. Okay. Does it pay? Yes. Am I free? Yes. Fine. Do it. Simple. If it's okay, does it pay? No. Does it give you exposure? Now people will always promise exposure and rarely is it actually anything valuable. If it's something pro bono, which aligns with my values, great. I'll do it. If it's something which is South by Southwest, then it makes sense because you've got a wider audience. So kind of mapping out by looking at your past really high impact project saying, okay, what was it about this that really worked for me? Then creating a flowchart off of that to say, okay, yes, it's well paid. Yes, it aligns with my values. Yes, it helps me improve whatever it is. You can then create something physical to look at so that when the email comes in, you think, oh, I should do that. Whenever there's a should, always examine it. Look at the flowchart. If it falls into the category of the yeses, go. If it doesn't, bite the bullet and say no, because it will free up space for more of the things that you need and that you want. I love that approach. So we've heard two different approaches for the sort of the longer term thinking about your goals now. One of thematics, you know, what are sort of the areas of interest? And then one of creating rules or almost really decision trees, as Natalie just spoke about then. There's actually a third approach we want to share now, and that's to work out your goals for, say, the next year or even beyond. And that might be three to five big goals for different areas of your life, not just work, but, you know, life, family. It might be work 
plus extra work-related study you want to do, whatever. And then to break those down into smaller goals so you start to see how your year will shape up. So break it down into what would be the stepping stones in a quarter and what would be the stepping stones from there into a month. And that really then helps make sure you're staying true to your priorities as your weeks unfold throughout the year. Yeah, yeah. I think that really is quite similar to business planning isn't it yeah absolutely google we used to do this quarterly cycle where we'd come back and review the goals make sure they fitted in with the yearly goal as long as the yearly goal hadn't changed and then we would also use those for sometimes personal things as well but there's one other thing that i think is really important another tool great i call it getting on the balcony and, you know, I've got this personal story that you, well, you were part of it. <laughs> we were in New York. I was just about to commit to a whole heap of new, exciting things. Oh, this extra work some years ago. Yeah. All these exciting things. I was really ready to say yes. And then you whipped out this yearly calendar. <laughs> A paper one, like you put on the wall, literally. Don't always travel with one, but I happen to have one then. No, but yeah. And where was it from? Oh, it was from like a magazine or something that you rip out. And it's like you can get them at the news agent, though. I oh, think it was Frankie. It was Frankie. Yeah, Frankie Mag is a magazine for, for listeners who I haven't heard of it. But And I think it must have been close to the end of the year. So I was carrying it around because I knew we needed to do some business planning. Yeah, that's right. And so Greta basically wrote down all the things that I'd committed to for the next sort of, was it nine months? Yeah, about that. And it was things that you'd already, we knew you were sort of solid and confirmed. Yeah, and then the things that I wanted to do, and mm. I just looked at it, and I was like, oh, my God, there is just no way I can actually <laughs> even physically do that, even if I wanted to. And meanwhile, I was silently doing fist pumps and going, thank God, hooray, she sees reason at last. <laughs> it was so subtle. Um, anyway, what happened was I actually decided to say no to a few things and I delegated a few other things as well so that my year didn't look so completely and utterly crazy. So that was really, really critical for me. I'm quite a visual person. So sometimes when you physically draw the red colored marker line down the weeks where you're doing sort of work that's already committed and then you sort of see the tiny gaps in between those lines, you kind of go, oh yeah, um, that is already looking quite mm. heavily booked. So yeah. yeah, that works for me. I think I was on a plane like every two weeks or something. It was going to be crazy. Yeah. No doubt. Thanks for that extra one because that's four bigger picture tools and ways of thinking about how to spend your time and make sure that you spend your time in ways that are important to you personally. So we had thematics, We've had creating rules, uh, you know, at the beginning of year for what you'll say no to. We've also thought about how to think about goals that would be really important for you at the beginning of the year. How do you want things to be different at the end of the year? And then chunk that down to see what would the stepping stones need to be in quarters and months. And then, as you've just shared, the tool of getting on the, to the balcony, because it's a pretty rare year that we have when we don't have anything committed. You know, most of us have jobs or we might also be doing some study that builds into a new year. So being able to map out, well, what's already there means that you're going to start the year being realistic and also therefore not get the frustration of perhaps not achieving what you think, because it might be that your um, achievement desires aren't realistic for a certain period of time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing 
is that you are just very thoughtful about how you use your time if you go through those things. That's right. And I think it's really relevant here actually to share something that Rachel Botsman, the author, TED speaker, and one of our previous guests has said is that, you know, we all typically overestimate what we can do in the short term, but then we underestimate what we can do in the longer term. And so she actually tries to plan out and have some big, hairy, audacious goals that are five years down the track to make sure that she thinks big enough because that's where the scope really lies. Okay, now it's time to start thinking about the shorter term day-to-day time management tips. And I think what we'll do is we'll start with what I know is your bugbear, Greta. And that's the messy land of your to-do lists. <laughs> my to-do lists terrify you, don't they? Oh, my God. They really do terrify me. Um, <laughs> just to give you a sense, listeners, Greta has this process where she does a brain dump of everything that could possibly be on her mind. Often they're an A4, but sometimes they're A3, which I find particularly scary. Which is a bigger size of paper. because I don't, What's it called in American paper size? I I think it's A3. Okay, cool. Anyway, it's large and she has all these different categories and they're all in very small writing and she literally sort of fills the whole paper. And just to look at it terrifies me. (laughs) How do you think I feel? Wow, exactly. (laughs) But, you know, I agree. It looks intimidating, but it's actually incredibly cathartic. Now, I don't do this all the time, but what happens is about once a month, I brain dump all of the things that are floating around my brain, all of the to-dos, and that could be obviously work-related, a special work project, but it can also be trivial things like house maintenance that if left too long may not be trivial any longer. Because, you know, I think what really bugs me is that, of course, you have these perfect big picture annual goals for what you want to achieve in a year, but life's messy and it gets in the way. And so all these other to-dos crop up unpredictably and you have to work out when to do them. So I find it very cathartic to get everything out of my head and onto paper. And then I use that as my master sort of list, checklist, if you like, as I then create, say, a week's priorities or a day's priorities. And I just then try to choose, you know, say like my top three priorities for a given day. But that's where I you know, as you see often, I often get very frustrated because I'm just too ambitious, I think, in the size of tasks that I choose to achieve in one day. So I might get one of the three done out of the top three, but I don't necessarily do all of the other two. Um, so that's a continuing sort of challenge for me. Yeah, no, I totally see you frustrated by that. Yeah. And I think it's just, I'm unrealistic about how much time things take. And I need to break those top three tasks into smaller bite-sized chunks to be realistic about the actual amount of time things take. And, you know, sometimes your to-do list just isn't possible. Right. One, sorry, not yours. One's to-do list is impossible. You know, it reminds me of a time when I was at Google, you know, I was leading a fairly big team and two of my key managers had got bigger and better jobs. And what happened was I was actually trying to do their job. So it's fairly impossible to do three people's jobs. And I was feeling just completely overwhelmed and frustrated by my lack of sort of ability to get things done, I think. Yeah. So what did you do? What happened next? Well, I ended up, I was working with a coach and what she did was she got me to review a week and write all the buckets of activities that I would do in a week and then write percentages of my time in terms of, you know, what what I was spending my time on. 
And then she asked me to look at that and then decide where I should be spending my time if I was going to be the most effective. Surprise, surprise, it turned out I was spending way too much of my time on sort of operational, tactical things rather than thinking time, strategy time, big client meetings, you know, those kinds of things that really move the dial. Right. The genuine impact. Yeah. But it wasn't, you know, that was great. That was really fantastic insight, but it didn't really make a difference until I had this really impactful conversation with my boss, actually, where I said, look, this is a situation. This is where I'm spending my time. This is where I think I should spend my time. Do you agree? Yes, he agreed. And then I said, but in order to do that, I'm going to have to drop some fairly important balls because there's just no way I can do it. So I either have to delegate them, which I feel like I've done, or I just have to stop doing stuff. And one of those things was actually regular one-on-ones, which really broke my heart because for me, that was really important. This is with your direct reports. Yeah, with my direct reports. And actually, it was going to have a direct impact on engagement scores, which Google did every six months. As part um, of your performance review type sort of yeah, metrics? Yeah, well, part of performance review, but also just being a great manager. So, you know, I knew that, that w- the scores were going to go down and I basically said to my boss, look, this is going to happen. Are you okay with this? And that's literally what I did. And my engagement scores did go down and that was gutting. But it was a decision I had to take in order to focus on the things that in the end really, really mattered. And in hindsight, did that strategy work? Do you think you got through the best sort of uh, in a much better way by having that intervention than if you hadn't? Oh, totally. And I felt in control. And that was the key thing. Yeah, totally. Because I guess that sense of frustration that we keep talking about with time and time running through our hands too quickly goes away. I also really like the idea that you had a coach at that point in time, because sometimes we just need a fresh perspective to help us navigate through these things so that we can see the wood for the trees and what's really important. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. But, you know, there's one other tool that I wish I'd known then. Right. I've actually been using it for probably the last five or so years. Mm -hmm. And I find it super, super helpful. In fact, I use it most days. And this is where I have my to-do list, like you do, Hmm. not quite to the same (laughs) Nowhere near as long, yeah. Nowhere near as long. (laughs) But I take it another step. Um, My extra step is I put it into a two-by-two matrix. On one side is important, and on the other side is urgent, okay? So let's say I have my urgent and important things. So this is the like the Covey prioritization matrix. It's the yeah? Covey prioritization matrix and some people also call it the Eisenhower matrix. Cool. Just they look slightly different but not really. They they're essentially the same thing. So, if it's urgent and important, then it's something that I absolutely need to do. So I will do that that day. Then if it's not urgent and important, these are often the really important things. Yeah. Well, they are the really important things because I've said they're important, but they're actually the things that often you put off, but are the things that are most important. So things like writing a strategy, thinking about how you're going to operate in a really important meeting, exercising, you know, even things like that, that actually are, they're not urgent but they are really important. Yeah, often no one else is necessarily expecting you to hand a deliverable, but the quality of your overall output could be dramatically changed. Absolutely. right. And then there is urgent and not important. And those tasks are tasks that I try to think about how can I delegate them? 
you know, whether it's it could be booking flights, could be scheduling interviews, for example. It's things that they're not that important, but they are urgent. And so I'll, I'll try and delegate those. Right. And then the last bucket is not urgent and not important. And ultimately, those are the things that I'd like to just either drop or say no to. Mm-hmm. But if I can't, then I'll try and delegate them. Oh, and it's, I find it very hard. Do you squirm a bit, though, if you actually sort of consciously say goodbye to do list item? I am not going to do you. No. I find, <laughs> I find, honestly, no. I, I find it really liberating. Yeah. Okay. Well, I need to practice that bit, I suspect. I, I think I get quite fond of all of the little items, <laughs> all of those little guys living on my to-do list. Just have to give them up, right? <laughs> give them up. I'll try. I'll try. I, and there's no doubt I need to do more work. See, my big master to-do list that you talked about earlier that terrifies you, it's too long to do that prioritization with. But I don't do that typically on a daily basis. I use the top three. But, yeah, it's different tools for different people. Mm, yeah, top three is good too. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. Now, there is actually another completely different and new approach that I'd love us to share. But before I do, why don't we'll put some links to what the prioritization matrix looks like on the uh, episode page on our website at don'tstopusnow.co in case it was hard to visualize what Claire was talking about. But this other approach I wanted to talk about, it's really quite an ingenious and new way for me of thinking about how you spend your time. One of our recent guests is Kat Dunn. She's the CEO of Grameen Australia. And what she does is she literally counts or totals up the number of hours in a week. It's 168 hours in case you're wondering. And from that total of 168, she works out or if you like creates quotas or minimum amounts that she has to have in hours of sleep, in hours of fun and catching up with her friends, in hours of work and also, you know, other things. So here's Kat talking about her system. This is my aspirational week, I guess, time carve out of 168 hours, 50, 60 hours of work, 50 hours of sleep. 36 hours of what I call self-care and play. So that involves running, meditating, journaling, seeing friends, going for dinners, reading, and 24 hours of personal admin. That's like traveling, you know, dry cleaning, chores and whatnot. And if I can stick to that and especially honoring that 36 hours of play and that 50 hours of sleep, the time that I get back, I don't need 100 hours to do a 50-hour work week. You can just get it done with much more ease in the time you've allocated I actually really love that approach of coming at it from an angle of optimizing your energy. It's it's really quite unique, isn't it? Yeah, I hadn't heard of it before. It's really good. In fact, no, me neither. I'm going to experiment and try that in the coming weeks. Okay, great. So, well, you'll have to come back and report to uh, everybody and tell us how it goes. I will. I will indeed. Um, it's going to be interesting, but I, I like that idea. My energy definitely gets affected. And I think quite a bit of that is to do with the frustration I feel over my to-do list. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm. So I can just see you uh, counting up all those hours you've got asleep. What my quotas will be. Exactly. I probably won't be as neat or, you know, methodical as I think Kat sounds like she is. I think she talked about how she has on her digital calendar, all these different colors for all the different categories, but even just stepping back and actually thinking, well, what is the optimal amount of say time for me, whether that's connecting with people and, you know, 
know, friends, family, whatever, and sort of reflection time, even just having best guess on what I think would be the optimum amount of time to really fire me up and really make me feel like I'm on track. I think that'll be an interesting exercise in itself. Yeah, no, totally. Seriously, it's a really interesting approach, but, you know, Kat's life and maybe yours without kids might be a Mm. bit idealistic if you're sitting here listening and you're a mum. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, I guess one option would be that you would prioritise family over friends. So you'd work out what your quota was for family. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, that sleep quota probably gets a battering. Yeah, no doubt. But I think that's the beauty of this system. It's you choose your own categories and you choose the number of hours that are both doable because there's no point choosing a quota or an ideal target that you can't achieve because that will just create more frustration. Yes. <laughs> so I think it's trying can, to get away from. Exactly. So I think it can work. And actually, you know, it, it brings me back to thinking about entrepreneur Rebecca Campbell. Right. And she's got a really pragmatic view about how as a mum particularly you can beat yourself up for taking longer to do things particularly when you're juggling a lot so let's have a listen to her shall we yeah and how she thinks you you just got to stop beating yourself up totally great let's have a listen i think you have to be gentle on yourself is probably one thing that i find very difficult that you just can't get as much done as you can. If you if you sat down and you had no family and you had no friends or nothing competing in your life, you could just sit down and work all day and you'd get more done. So I think you just have to realize that you just, you can't do everything. There's no time for procrastinating. It's a complete waste of energy and time. So like I always do a list at the beginning of every day. I always look at what are the most important things that I have to get done and I get those things done first. I also always reply to emails as soon as I get them. Well, I try to because otherwise it's kind of they're on my mind and don't get back to them and things. So I just try and respond to as much as I can in the moment so that I don't have to deal with it again. The point of not beating yourself up about your incomplete to-do list is so important, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It really is because it can be so counterproductive if you do beat yourself up. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> So true, so true. <laughs> but separately, you know, on um, Rebecca's point about responding fast when she can with emails. Yeah. Yeah, I'm totally like that. Yeah, you are. You are definitely much more so than me. How do you think about it? Do you have sort of hard and fast rules, like how you do that? What I tend to do is if I get an email and it's something that I can answer, you know, there and then, I will answer it. So let's say I don't need to speak to you or somebody else or think about it. I'll just answer it immediately. But if it's something that I need to spend some cognitive time on or some collaborative time on, then I will put it onto my to-do list usually. But I have to say Gmail, that recent new thing in Gmail where they give you a a nudge. Oh, that new feature that they introduced. Oh, it's so good. (laughs) So good because it comes up like, I think you can decide on how long it is, but I think mine's three days. So if I haven't answered something in three days, it comes to the top of my inbox and reminds me that I haven't responded or they haven't replied back. Yeah, I like that part God said. Yeah, it is really helpful. I like that feature too. I think you're just more able to walk an email than I am. Really? (laughs) Yeah. So I think you, that's why you, I probably perceive you to be more responsive is the number of times we might go to a coffee shop or something and we're walking, but then Claire suddenly stopped because she's writing a quick message and I go, ah, yeah, I think that's why. I think the other thing I do is I do have times where I shut off email completely yeah so that i can focus well and that's what a lot of experts say isn't it that it really can be best practice if you've got 
good, important thinking work to be done that you do shut off all your alerts and notifications and just think and set aside a specific hour or two in the day when it's your email time rather than let your emails as they come in distract you and stop what you're doing to reply to a specific email because that really interrupts your train of thought. And I can't remember the specifics of some research that I've read where for every time you break that train of thought to say reply to an email, it takes X number of it's extra like, minutes. It 10 minutes yeah, or it's quite like a, that? to get back into that sort of thread. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's probably time to do another bit of a recap because we've been covering a number of different tools here. And I think, you know, one key thing to stress is there's no one right tool. This is all about playing around with what works best for you and trying different things out. So, you know, we've thought about taking the longer term approach first, like really being clear and cognizant. And that takes time up front. You know, what's important to you over a given year? You know, what are, for example, the rules that you might set yourself? What will you say no to? Like the number of dinner engagements that are work-related that you would accept in a given month as one hypothetical example. Or you might have certain thematics where you know that's something you'll say yes to if it's in that topic area that interests you. You'll also think about your goals for the year and, and break those down into sort of stepping stones for quarters and months. And that then shows and helps illustrate how you, you know, you should allocate your time accordingly. And then you get on the balcony. And then, as you say, you get on the balcony and look at what's already committed and work out whether you've already uh, got enough committed for the year, etc. Yeah, for sure. And then we've talked about short term, the more day-to-day, week-to-week tools, whether it's the to-do lists or as you use now so much the Stephen Covey prioritization matrix, you know, is it urgent or is it important and urgent? Also, as we heard from Kat Dunn, thinking about what are the minimum number of hours she needs to spend sleeping or feeding her soul so that she'll have the energy to tackle a big day's work. That's another approach. So yeah, no one right tool. Absolutely. So I know we're nearly out of time, Gret. Yeah. But can I just throw one other quick thing in there? Do it. Okay, great. Thanks. (laughs) So a practice that I think is really, really valuable is to finish each day reviewing what your priorities are going to be for the next day. Yeah, that's great. Because I think that that really, really helps you feel ready for the coming day. I agree. It's a really clean way, so to speak, of starting the morning when you know you've already done that thinking and it kind of creates closure for that day as well. Yeah, Yeah, I like that. Totally. I actually used to do it on a Sunday. I know, you know, it's not great to be working at the weekend, but I actually found if I did that on a Sunday night, then my Monday morning would be amazing. Right. Talking about the mornings, you know, I'll toss in one extra thought too, which is, you know, what a lot of the research and experts say is that When you start your day, do not start on scrolling with your phone or doing quick and administrative style emails. Start your day with one of the more meaty, more difficult tasks on your priority list, you know, the quality thinking time, because that's when your brain's going to be at its best. And that's when you can power through and get that thinking work done. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, You know, the key point with all of these tools that we've basically uh, showcased for you today and the key message is that, you know, just try 
Try the different ones. See what works for you because we're all different. Yeah, absolutely. And don't take a leaf out of my book and get frustrated with your to-do list. It's all about mindset and it's something that I am working on continually at the moment to really reframe how I'm thinking about time and thinking about it so that I feel that it's abundant and not scarce. There was a great sort of mantra I heard someone recommend, which is, I have all the time I need to do what's important. I think that's a really good uh, way of reframing and managing mindset. We have to be kind to ourselves. As Rebecca said earlier, we can't beat ourselves up. It's really counterproductive, isn't it? It certainly is incredibly important. Well, that's this episode done and dusted. Stay tuned for our next episode interviewing the amazing Anne Sherry. Oh, that'll be fantastic. It certainly will. So see you then. Ciao for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.